All right, we are in 1 Timothy chapter 1, um, verses 12 through 20. I'll give you guys a minute to get there. Oh. All right, so the entire Bible records the history of a guilty man's flight from the presence of God and the way we are wooed back to the one who completes us. So it's like a love story that we're all sinners and we run from God like Adam and Eve ran in the garden and hid from him. That's what Paul is doing here. He's reminding Timothy of his personal testimony of how he was so off course, yet God intervened and turned his life around. So I'm going to read just 1 Timothy 1, um, 12 through 20. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason, I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might sh show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So our homework was, the title was Fight the Good Fight, right? We're going to see three primary ways as we read um, into Paul's words, like three sections, if you will. God uses broken people. Two, we all need God's mercy. And three, we need to be reminded to fight the good fight of faith. All right, so let's look at verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Paul knew that he was the chief of all sinners. So he was thankful that God in his grace had enabled him. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God saw that Paul was faithful, and so he entrusted the gospel to him. You don't have to be smart to be faithful. You don't have to be talented or gifted. Faithfulness is something very simple, and each one of us can be faithful where God has placed us. Sometimes we're like, I'll be faithful when I get to that position, or I'll be faithful if he allows this in my life. Are you waiting to be faithful once you have a certain role to fulfill? It's foolish to wait. We should be faithful right where we are at. Our faithfulness is shown in the small things. When someone obeys God's call to serve, God always equip equips and enables that person. He goes on to say in verse 13, all right, I see a dog hair on me. It's driving me crazy. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's like, I keep seeing it. It's like this, looks like that big, but I know it's little. Anyway, I had to get it off. All right, verse 13, he goes on to say, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. The reason this was so striking to the apostle was that he knew so well the pit from which he had been dug. Paul's past did not disqualify him from serving God. And I know sometimes we feel that way. How could I ever teach Sunday school? I, I, I am incapable. I don't know how to do that. Or how could I ever help with worship? Or how could I ever teach a Bible study? Um, we, just, we can disqualify ourselves just condemning ourselves with our past. But it did not disqualify him, his past. We should never feel that our past makes us unable to be used by God. When he says in verse 13, a blasphemer, 
blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, he was not exaggerating for the, side, for, the, for the sake of effect. Let's listen to what Paul says in his past in Acts 26, 9 through 11. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death... I cast my vote against them, and I punched them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blasphemy. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He was a blasphemer because he denied the deity of Jesus Christ and forced others to deny it. What was that? Okay. He was a persecutor who used a physical power to try to destroy the church. In Acts 9.1, it says, murderous threats were the very breath of his life. He persecuted the Christian church. In 1 Corinthians 15.9, for I am the least of the apostles who are not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That was him. In Acts 8, we're told during this period, he consented to the stoning of Stephen and wrecked havoc in the church. So he was not a good guy. I mean, he, he really did a lot of things that we would think, okay, this totally disqualifies you forever. You're never going to be accepted. It says Paul was an insolent man. A modern term for us would be a bully. And a bully means a person who habitually seeks to harm or intimidate those whom they perceive as vulnerable. So the basic cause of his godless behavior was ignorance and unbelief. Even though Saul of Tarsus was a brilliant man and well-educated, he was a religious man, but he was not headed, headed for heaven. Sadly, it was not until he put his faith in Jesus Christ that he was saved. Paul describes that in Philippians 3, 1 through 11. I'm not going to go there, but you can look at it if you'd like. In verses 14 and 15, And the grace of our Lord is exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners for whom I am chief. So how could a holy God ever save and forgive a self-righteous sinner? The key words here are in scripture, mercy and grace. God in his mercy did not give Paul what he deserved. Just like us, we didn't get what we deserved. Instead, God in his grace gave Paul what he did not deserve. Grace and mercy are God's love in action. Paul stated that it took exceedingly abundant grace to save him. Paul makes it clear that this salvation is not for him only, but for all who receive Jesus Christ. That's why he tells us here that this truth about salvation is worthy of all acceptance. We admire Paul's humility being displayed here as he speaks about himself. First, back in 1 Corinthians 15.9, we note that he considered himself to be the least of the apostles. Now, right, he's now way later on, he's been walking with the Lord for a while, right? Now he calls himself here in verse 15, the chief of sinners. Doesn't it seem the longer you walk with the Lord, the more sensitive you are to what you do? The more you're like quick to say, oh Lord, please forgive me for that, for that thought or for that action. It wasn't, I wasn't being loving and kind toward my husband. I was being disrespectful. We're more quick because we realize how we are. Also notice that Paul did not write at the end of verse 15, of whom I was chief, but he wrote of who, who I am chief. So he thought he was it. He was the, the worst of all. The grace of God turned the persecutor into a preacher and the murderer into a minister and a missionary. That's the grace of God.
He was called and commissioned by the risen Christ in heaven. And as we go on in verse 16, it says, However, for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. In what sense is Paul an example to lost sinners who believe in Christ? Not all of us have had the experience that Paul had on Damascus Road where we, you know, we didn't see a light. I mean, maybe some of you did. We didn't see a light fall to the ground and Jesus speak from heaven. No, for me, it was just a slow, I, had to, I watched the Christians around me, what they were doing and what, was this really true, this Jesus? And I kept waiting for them to fall and, and they didn't fall. And I was like, okay, maybe this really is real. Maybe this Jesus is you know, and I just kept watching and waiting, and then I realized I could trust what I was seeing, that the fruit in their lives was real, and um, they weren't perfect. You know, God's not asking to be perfect Christians, but when we make a mistake and when we fall or when we struggle or, you know, hey, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't have treated you that way, or I shouldn't have said that, or I, whatever, you know, that we're quick um, to, to ask for forgiveness and that God help us, helps us and enables us to um, do it better the next time. But Paul is a pattern to all lost sinners, for he was the chief of sinners. He is proof that the grace of God can change any sinner. Paul represents the extreme example, and if God was patient and gracious enough to save Paul, he can save anyone, right? He's gracious enough to save anyone. The ultimate sinner became the ultimate saint. God's greatest enemy became his finest servant. I'll read that again. The ultimate sinner became the ultimate saint. God's greatest enemy became his finest servant. As we go on to verse 17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul could not think of how bad he was and how great salvation of God was and the great love of God was without, I love this, without simply breaking into spontaneous praise. He's praising him and thanking him for all that he's done. He says the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise. This outburst of praise shows that Paul both knew God and he loved God. He knew God to be the king, eternal, ruling and reigning, in complete power and glory. He knew God to be immortal, existing before anything else and being the creator of all things. He knew God to be invisible, always there, always working. But what? We don't always feel or see him, right? We don't know what he's doing, but we can know he's working. He knew God alone is wise, that he is God and we are not. We think our plans and insights are so important, but only God really knows and understands all things. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Knowing all of this about God, Paul could not stop praising him. If we ever have trouble worshiping God, is it because we don't know him very well? Or maybe we've just forgotten. We're so focused on maybe the trial that we're in the midst of or the circumstance that we're going through or the new diagnosis that's happened or something going on in the family that we're so distracted and we hear that, you know, the enemy's voice constantly saying, he really doesn't love you. Why, why would he let you walk through that? Why, why would he let you lose sleep every night? Why, why would he let you be in pain? Why would he let your child die? You know, the enemy is constantly whispering things to make us doubt our God. And if we're not, ladies, if we're not grounded in his word, and if we don't know him well, we'll believe that whisper, and it'll get us completely. We'll, we, instead of going straight on that narrow path and that walk with the Lord that we're supposed to be doing, 
we will take a right or we will take a left. So know him, know who he is. And sometimes I, when I am going through something or the Lord's allowed something in my life to make my roots go down deeper, I say to the enemy and the voice that is talking to me, no, because he is faithful. And I will write it out in my journal. I just start writing out, no, he's done this. And no, he's done that. And I'll just write out. And sometimes it's good to remember what he has done if you're in a valley or in a, in a uh, trial where you just have lost, okay, you know, remember, remember the things that he has done because he will do them again. He, it may be different. It, may, it will be new, but he is faithful to do them again. So know him well. The description of God gave Timothy is still another reason that he remained in Ephesus. This great God was worthy of Timothy's sacrifice and could empower his service to F- in Ephesus. In verse 18, this charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the, previous, to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare. This word charge is the same as in 1 Timothy 1.3. It's a military word referring to an order from a commanding officer. At the same time, the phrase son Timothy expresses a note of fatherly love, showing affection in the use of his personal name. Paul wanted Timothy to consider what the Holy Spirit had said to him through others in the past and to receive encouragement to remain in Ephesus. Sometimes we get so discouraged, right? But we need to remember, remember what God has done, what he's doing, and that he's faithful, that he's good. Yet the focus was not on the prophetic word Timothy had in the past. The focus was on the battle right in front of him now, where he must wage the good warfare, that is, fight the good fight. Timothy had a job in front of him, and it was going to be a battle. It wasn't going to be easy or comfortable. Sometimes it hurts. He had to approach the job Paul left him to do in Ephesus just as a soldier approaches a battle. He had to be prepared. You know, he had to um, know the word, remember things. You know, sometimes I just will quote scripture, you know, when I'm going through something. And, you know, like just the simple of the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Just sitting on that. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. You know, you just start reading his scripture. And I tell you, it just will minister to you. And whatever that is that's heavy, or whatever is you're walking through, just will, you'll be flooded with his peace. And it's just a wonderful thing. You might not have the answers. It might not be all better. But you will at least have his peace to keep walking, to get up the next day and keep going. Keep walking it out and not stumble, not fall and say, oh, it'd be so much easier if I could just go have a drink, you know, and that's not going to solve anything. You know, it's a temporary, like, make you feel good for a second. And then later on, you're like, okay, that didn't last, but this lasts forever. His faithfulness and um, him speaking to you and growing you will last forever. Uh, Okay. So he had to approach the job Paul left him, just as a soldier approaches the battle. Having faith and good conscience, which some having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. These are the tools for warfare. These are essential when battling for the Lord. They protect us against the spiritual attacks of doubt and condemnation. Timothy had to have faith that God was in control and that he would guide him. Strength in one is always combined with strength in the other. So 
also is failure in one is correlated with failure in the other. A good conscience isn't just a conscience that approves us, but one that approves us because we've been doing what is right and it is connected with conduct. Conscious is defined as the inner voice, which warns us that somebody may be looking. Have you ever had that where you're just doing, going about your day and you just something you just feel that? So the inner voice saying, oh, maybe you shouldn't do that, or maybe you shouldn't have said that, or don't call her right now. Sometimes you want to call somebody and talk things out, and maybe the Lord's like, no, just wait. My husband is so good at that where I'm so impatient. I'm like, no, I just want to deal with it now because I hate confrontation. I don't like it at all. I just, you know, like he'll, someone will leave a message and I'm like, aren't you going to call them back? And he said, I'm going to call tomorrow. It's been a long day. And I'm like, how are you going to sleep tonight? And in the meantime, I'm like, like throwing up and I'm like, how do you do that? It's so stressful. I'm like, that's why I don't, I don't know everything. We weren't meant to carry all the weight, you know, of what goes on. And, um, but that's just me. I, 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 want to deal with it and okay but sometimes the Lord's like no wait because sometimes I, I have one family member if I give that person time they cool down and then I'm not dealing with a fire like I might be dealing with just a little spark instead of a big blazing fire if I call them right now but it's so hard because we're tempted to like no let's just deal with it get, like I just want to get it done with but the Lord sometimes says no just wait allow there to be time rest in that and that's that inner voice giving you a check saying just, you know, wait on the Lord. Maybe maybe pray about it. That's, that's what we should be doing, right? Seeking the Lord. Okay, God, how should I handle this? What should I do? What should I say? What should I not say? When should we get together and talk or whatever? But a woman with a good conscience will do the will of God in spite of who is watching or what people may say. Some have rejected these weapons. Specifically, Paul speaks of rejecting the faith. Those who rejected what Jesus and the apostles taught are headed for shipwreck. Have you known anyone that you've tried to be like, okay, I, I think you're getting close to shipwrecking. You know, you might shipwreck your marriage or shipwreck your family with these, some of these choices you're making and, and have that friend just say, oh, oh, well, you know, and then just say, okay, well, I can't, I don't want to be here while you're walking through it and I don't want to hear all the stories while you're walking, making these terrible choices. But when you're ready, when you fall flat on your face, come back to me and I'll be here for you. It's hard to be that kind of real friend to someone um, when they're making choices that aren't healthy, that aren't good, that you're seeing is going to destroy things. So um, you, wanna, you, want, you don't want them to suffer shipwreck. You want them to make it. He goes on in verse 20, of whom were Hymenaeus and Alexander. So he goes on to share with us two guys who, who uh, messed up. Whom I delivered to Satan. Well, that's kind of scary. That they may learn not to blaspheme. Finally, we hear Paul share about two men who appear to have gone astray spiritually. Thus directly caused Paul and the church severe harm. So they were obviously in the church making some terrible choices, doing something very severe that Paul's actions would um, have caused him to make him do this. Um, Paul identifies them openly to the church. He names them. They were Hymenaeus and Alexander. We know nothing else more about them than this brief reference. What does it mean that Paul delivered them over to Satan? That's pretty intense terms um, and uh, very uh, strong language. We believe that he did this by putting these men outside the church in a spiritual act of discipline. So they couldn't stay within the church when they were making these kind of whatever it was. I mean, it doesn't go on to explain, but obviously it was pretty, pretty intense for them to be put outside of the church. They were put back into the world system. 
removed from the presence of the flock of God. And what does that do? I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel safe here. Like among my church family, like you, you feel like there's a safety net here with, um, with like-minded people. Thus ending their influence on God's people to protect them from further harm and remove them from the protection and insulation of God's people. Paul so valued the Lord, his salvation, the word of God, and the church family that if he needed, Paul was willing to fight and stand for what was right, to courageously, courageously oppose evil. Remember the familiar phrase, all it takes for evil to triumph is for good women to do nothing. Let's ponder again what we learned here tonight. God uses broken people. Despite your past, God can restore and work. I never dreamed in a million years that I would stand before you ladies and try and teach a Bible study. Okay? Never. Sometimes I think... Okay, Lord, if you hadn't brought my family, my aunt and uncle, back to New Jersey to start Calvary Chapel Violin, where would I be? And I am quickly broken to tears because I know I would not be in a very good place. I probably would have never finished school like all of my um, birth family members um, did not finish uh, elementary or high school. I, I think the highest grade they went to was eighth grade, I probably would be um, not an LPN. I probably would not be married to an amazing man. I probably would have had many men and many pregnancies that were a mess. Maybe I would, I don't know. Like I just sometimes envision, Lord, where would I be if you didn't have her love me where I was at as a 14-year-old little girl who was very, very lost broken. I was very hungry for attention. I wanted any attention I could get from anybody. Um, and I'm just so thankful. So just be encouraged. God uses broken people. I'm so thankful for her loving me and, and picking me up for dinner and having me for dinner and then eventually having me move in. I, I just cannot. And I tell you, I didn't understand the gravity of that kind of love. And the older I get, the more I realize, and sometimes I just text her, thank you for loving me, because I don't know where I'd be. I wouldn't have an incredible husband. We'll be, we'll be celebrating 29 years uh, coming up in January, and I just think, wow, that's, that's incredible. There's not uh, many who are still married on, in my birth family um, that are still married to the first person they married. They've, there's multiple marriages and divorces, and just um, anyway. So God's faithful, despite your past, he can restore and work, and, um, and I'm so thankful for that. We all need God's mercy. This should keep us humble in spirit, right? We've never arrived. We're not perfect. I am not perfect at all. I make mistakes. I struggle, um, and I need Jesus. I need his mercy. And we are reminded to fight the good fight of faith. We are part of something good. Let's fight for what matters at times, right? Um, let's not give up. Let's not give in. Let's not get weary, and if we're weary, let's band arms and, and stand strong together. So let's pray.